this darkness in you too? Have you passed through this night? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your host, Stephen Buja, and helping me take that hill, one and only Amy Thomason. Amy, how are you doing this week? I'm doing very well. Around getting to the end of the school year, so life is pretty sweet. Mm, you're finally approaching that that thin line that divides you between working and not working through the summer. Yes. That is, of course, a thinly veiled reference to this week's movie. Once again, we head back to the glorious year of 1998 for another For Your Reconsideration, our fourth film this year. We are talking about the Terrence Malick written and directed World War II film The Thin Red Line. Uh, ultimately, it lost to Shakespeare in Love at the 71st Academy Awards. And you can definitely hear my thoughts on that and Saving Private Ryan in our previous episodes covering those two movies. And I believe we may have touched upon things when we discussed Life is Beautiful, which was also nominated for Best Picture and won Best Foreign Language Film we that did. year. We did. That's a, uh, it was a good year, a fun year. Amy, we had talked about doing this movie, and when I said, because it's Memorial Day, we should do a World War II film, <laughs> obviously, I was like, oh, we should do a Thin Red Line. Yes, you, I didn't, I couldn't see you roll your eyes, but I could feel it in the way you responded by a text message. So what is your relationship to the movie? And then, sub-question, Terrence Malick's work in general. Okay. Um, my relationship with this movie is early on in my relationship with my husband. Um, and we were sort of getting to know each other. We actually exchanged like iPods so we could kind of get each other's music wow. and stuff, which is a really interesting way of learning about someone, by the way. That is, it is such a like 2000s era thing to do. Cause you know, we can't just make a mixtape and be like, this is the music guy. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Uh, All right. You, you exchanged iPods. Nice. And so, and we talked about films because that's my thing. And he's surprised. really interested in it too. But he said, you have to see the thin red line. You have to see the thin red line. I was like, oh, sure. And I was, you know, very, and I was very smitten at the time and wanting to please. And I fell asleep about 10 minutes into the movie, wow. like passed out cold. And you were and, not, and when you woke up, were you not that smitten with? Well, I think he probably wasn't that smitten with me. (laughs) (laughs) I think he took that as a character flaw, but I just, it wasn't holding me. But since then, we watched, um, now kind of getting back to Terrence Malick, I watched, like, his famous ones. I watched um, Badlands, which, you know, everybody says is a big masterpiece, and Days of Heaven, which I have problems. I have problems with Terrence Malick. Okay. Like, uh, such as what? Well, one thing he does well, which you can't take away from him, he shoots beautiful, beautiful movies. Through that. And very evocative of feeling. Very slow pans of beautiful nature set to beautiful music. And he shoots at those, what is it, the golden hour? Yeah. As the sun's about to set. 
where everything's kind of raw. And it does. It evokes all these different feelings in you, nostalgia without hitting you over the head with it. However, I'm a girl who likes story. I like dialogue. I like plot. And my issue with Badlands is that I did a lot of research about the actual characters it was based on and i think the original the actual story is a lot more fascinating than the movie he made he took a really riveting story and really watered it down watered it down and then in days of heaven apparently he just threw the script out and was like let's just shoot and i'll kind of make the movie after i shoot it yeah it's uh he he strikes me as a, a director who assembles his film on the edit table uh, as, as many many people have appear, have shot have shot scenes for a Terrence Malick movie, only to have those scenes utterly removed from the final product. Uh, I think um, uh, Rachel McAdams in To the Wonder was had an entire an entire subplot excised. Bill Pullman in this particular movie, he shot a bunch of scenes not not there. So he he plays fast and loose with the story. He goes more for feeling and mood than he does for and, actual and, and if that's what he wants to do he he hits that but i think you can make a beautiful gorgeously filmed movie that evokes emotion and also of a plot and dialogue and interesting characters that have interesting story arcs and to this i give you david lean who shot for shot just as beautiful just as many nature shots in Bridge on the River Kwai, but there's also characters and tension and all of those other things. Yeah. His movies, Malick's movies, which if you're into this, you're going to like Terrence Malick, very much seem like you're asleep and it's a dream that you're having. Hmm. Yeah, and he's yeah. the only director that I can think of that really, and not in a Fellini surreal way, but it feels like a dream because it's kind of hazy. Yeah. Uh, and there's little snippets of things that happen. The impression I always get with Malik is that you are dream dreamlike works, but it's more you are sort of floating above everything, sort of you're sort of taking in a god's eye view of the world and of the feeling. So the you're you're detached in a way where the particulars who cares? You're you're more it's. You're 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 looking back and I'm going okay. I'm not just focusing on this. I'm focusing on the the way the plant life, you know, works around these characters. And I'm going for this feeling, going for that. So he he doesn't like he doesn't like getting bogged down in the minutiae of the plot so much as he does getting bogged down in the minutiae of the feeling. I'm sure if he could get away with making a silent movie where the actors just say numbers like Fellini did, he would. Fucking love that. He would be all on board with that, but uh, I, I, I think there are still some demands we need in uh, Hollywood cinema that say you need to say something even if it's ponderous nonsense. At times. And exactly, and for me, it's, it's, it, it kind of goes back, and people can argue this, that what's the purpose of movies? Is it in to entertain? I think at the end of the day, you're supposed to be telling the story. And that's and, why I think maybe he would have been a really great documentary filmmaker. Possibly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's he's not so much into the story. 
No, no, it's not. But beautiful imagery. I'm not taking that away from him. The things that people love about Terrence Malick, I completely agree. Beautiful movies, very evocative. You feel the emotion. Right. I still like a story. Yeah, and and James Jones is a great writer. So I've never, I've, I've never read, uh, never read any of this stuff. I did not know that the Thin Red Line was a sort of quasi sequel to From Here to Eternity which James Jones also wrote, and which won Best Picture back in 1952. Uh, and yeah, and in fact, so, in fact, some of these characters are slightly, you know, their names are slightly changed. So uh, DeWitt becomes Wit, and Gardner becomes a wealthy thing. It's, it's, it's a very fascinating thing, and I, uh, I look forward to discussing From Here to Eternity when we, when we get there. Oh, I'm ready for that one. See, we could have done that one for Memorial Day. I mean, we could have, but that? you know what? We there are, again. There's an issue of we don't want to just we don't want to just end up talking all about foreign films until the until we run out. We need to, we need we need to get we need we need to we need to keep keep the people waiting a little bit. Keep people waiting a little bit. My own my own history with Malik is surprisingly it's mostly new Malik. I first heard of Terrence Malik when this film came out. I was. 15 years old. So obviously this is a very impressionable. Saving Private Ryan had come out in the summer. This came out Christmas Day. Uh, two very different experiences. You know, two very, uh, not, they were the same, they were the same uh, song, but they were just playing, the, the tune was very, very different to it. I mean, one was, you know, Mary, Malik was definitely a sort of an art house jazz vibe when Saving Private Ryan was full-throated American orchestra in your face. Um, I have never seen Badlands or Days of Heaven, although I know, uh, you know I've seen some of the images and they're thought-provoking and gorgeous. Uh, he was like the Star Wars movies before we before they were bought by Disney. They were powerful and awesome because they were rare. Thin Red Line was. Malik's first movie in 20 years after after Days of Heaven, or Badlands, whichever one. So it was a big thing. Terrence Malik himself was super mysterious. In that time, there was only one photo of him ever taken. And you're like, oh man, this is, it's, it felt like an event. To people in the know, it felt like an event. Even I, you know, reading up on him when I was 15, I was like, this, this, is, this sounds really cool. And since then, he's made a bunch of movies with more and more frequency. He did The New World. He did Tree of Life, To the Wonder. There's a uh, something called Song of Songs, which I think is terrible. Uh, Prince, of, uh, Prince of Cups. He's done a bunch of things that have, I think, lessened the impact of him because his, his talent should be less common. It should be something special that you, that is developed over time and it's almost favorite it can't just like i mean it's not like a movie came out last year and nobody 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 heard of it nobody saw of it and you're like but this is this is a terrence malick movie why aren't we why aren't we doing more of this because you know maybe he didn't have enough time to develop it properly and it just became uh sort of malick riffing on himself he's like he's thinking oh this worked for me before i'm going to do the exact same thing and just keep trying to replicate my success with the Thin Red Line, or with Tree of Life, and I, I really like Tree of Life. I think Brad Pitt is is great in it, and the imagery is, is is wonderful. But you can see where it like if this is the only thing he's got, 
he can't he can't waste it as as much. So um, he needs to. I think he needs to step off the gas a little bit, reconsider his options, and take the time to really develop something. Maybe write uh, something with a little more plot. And if but if he were to make a science fiction film, I'm all over that. I think he this he would make a great fucking weird Tarkovsky esque science fiction movie, and I'm all he would do like a 2001. Oh yeah, but even more, (laughs) even more, even twistier, even twistier. It'd be it'd be amazing. It would be 2001 with less dialogue. Right, right. A little, just a little bit of house cleaning. The Thin Red Line was directed by Terrence Malick, written by Terrence Malick, based on the novel by James Jones, starring <clears throat> James Caviezel, Sean Penn, Nick Nolte, Elias Cotius, John Cusack, John Travolta, Ben Chaplin, Thomas Jane, Woody Harrelson, Miranda Otto, John C. Riley, George Clooney, and goddammit, so many men from the late 90s uh, that you know, Jared, he, he, Leto. Jared Leto was in it. I was like, holy shit. Shit, he's been around a while. He's he he still looks like a kid to this day, but he was a child then. Uh, and we will talk about all of, all of these guys. It's a very it's a very man. It's a very dudes dudes movie. Uh, I was I was I never recognized. I never knew who the girl was that um, Ben Chaplin was married to. But I'm like, hey, it's Eowyn. Eowyn's here. Oh, look at her. She's just she's you got it more than I did. I was like, it's that guy. <laughs> Guy. You know the thing and the the yeah. person and you know and, and a young and a young there was a young Tom Jane featured in one scene. All these guys have one one scene. George Clooney. This was his post ER one of his first post ER things. Like George Clooney in the theater line, he shows up for playing one himself. scene. Play, playing himself. He's so good at playing himself, though. Let's let's be honest. But in addition to all of these amazing men, the film was nominated for a lot of Oscars. And we're going to take a short break, and we're going to discuss that. I've seen another world. What he uh, is dealing with is his past. That we all have one. And sometimes our past um, can dictate what our future is going to be like. He feels he's indebted to, you know, as far as losing his parents. He blames himself for his father's death. So he's trying to make make amends with, with that. Um, and that's a journey that he goes through. I wondered how it would be when I died. What would it be like to know that this breath now was the last one you was ever going to draw? The fabulous place I've ever been, and you know, you're in a tent with no bottom and poisonous spiders and snakes and stuff around. It gets kind of cold in there, and um, it was always raining. In the jungle, you just stay wet, and at night it gets cold. You had to... Um, get next to a guy real close to share his body heat because it was it got pretty cold not even funny at this morning <laughs> early in the morning we did a lot of um a lot of weapons training society that teaches us uh, not to not only strike hurt another person kill another person but not to speak ill of another man so when they said okay here's a rifle go and kill now rocks your world and many of them had to do that Lustrous um, fruit and, and vegetation and um, blood. Somebody cut it. 1998 was a big year for the Academy Awards. Shakespeare in Love won, going up against Saving Private Ryan. They took home the lion's share of awards that year. 
sadly leaving the thin red line in the dust with a big fat zero. Nonetheless, the thin red line was nominated for seven Academy Awards. What were they? Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Original Score, and Best Sound. Yes. Uh, most of the, most of these went to either Steve, uh, Shakespeare in Love or Saving Private Ryan. However, Best Adapted Screenplay went to the extremely good and underappreciated Gods and Monsters. Big time. And the original score, which was by Hans Zimmer, a score I love. Uh, it's an amazing piece of uh, music in this in this film, and by the great the great Hans Zimmer went to Life is Beautiful, uh, which we talked about, and Nicolo uh, Nicola Paglioni, I believe which the name was, was beautiful, which was which was uh, so great, so great. So it was uh, there were a lot of awards going around to very few movies, and uh, sadly, Thin Red Line did not get any of them. Any other? It's, it's one of those any other years. Thin Red Line could, would have walked away with certainly cinematography. John Toll, uh, he won for uh, Braveheart and uh, the other movie with the bear and Brad Pitt. Oh, oh I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, he's just the one. Uh, Legends of the Fall. Legends of the Fall, yes. Thank you. That's why I keep you around. Uh, <laughs> and uh, for him, for, you know. And if you're like, oh, but it's so beautiful, and then you're then you see Saving Private Ryan, you're like, oh, that's also really good movie to be. Every everything about this is everything about everything about the Thin Red Line. You go, oh, but Saving Private Ryan does it just a little bit better in most regards. In most regards, the thing is, this is one where I don't know if I would even say better. It's just ten thousand times different. It's, it literally is an apple and an orange. They're both perfect in their own way and it's just which way do you feel like going do you want gritty realism do you want that really evocative i mean this movie really moved me yeah i uh said a bunch of mea culpas after watching it to my husband the other day and he's like oh you don't have to say that i'm like no have i ever have i ever just pretended to like something just to please a man never so <laughs> but I don't, I don't really Yes, it's, um, that's an excellent, excellent point. It's one of those, you have no country for old men, you have there will be blood. Very similar themes on capitalism in, in the American West. So what do you feel like? What do you, what do you feel like? And uh, it's, it's just my pick. And, you know, when you got Steven Spielberg making another World War II movie, uh, one of the highest grossing films of the year, like you're, gonna, you're probably going to lose that fight nine times out of ten. But uh, it would have would have been great to see this uh, film walk away with with something. I, I could have easily have picked Terrence Malick for best director for this. I uh, you know he there's a lot of moving parts in here, and while he constructs the film in a strange way, certainly after the fact of shooting, he he makes it uh, he makes it work as best as best he can. And my God, it is uh, it is a thing of beauty to behold at times. Certainly, but if you want more, again, if you would like more in-depth talk of the Academy Awards that year, listen to Shakespeare in Love, Saving Private Ryan, with uh, past host Matt Marchetti. Uh, we definitely have some opinions, and of course, our episode on it life is beautiful. beautiful, right? And uh, at some point, we may as well just 
watch Elizabeth just to say we got this entire year done. And then and then why, and then just throw on the Elizabeth the Golden Age because sure we'll, we'll just be completists about things. <laughs> and anyways, so we're gonna take a, another short break. That was a short one, and come back and we we're finally gonna discuss this one. Against that embankment, we all been killed. We've talked about the mood and the feeling of the thin red line, but Amy, what is the plot of the thin red line? It is a thought-provoking meditation on man, nature, and violence. You see, you, you, you always go for, always go for it. I had military lands at Guadalcanal, mayhem ensues. I tried to mix it up this week. I know, I know, but uh, yes, it is. Uh... I read this, and by the way, I read this somewhere. So okay, all right. I thought it sounded very interesting, and I was like, "Well said, anonymous poster on Internet Movie Database." Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What? Uh, if, frankly, yes, lots so of me. Yeah, so it's uh, it's thought provoking. What thoughts is it provoking? Well, let's start at the beginning. Very good um, place to start. What is the nature of violence are all human beings is nature. I don't want to say nature by nature. So the world by nature is violent or is it not? Is nature itself peaceful, but we bring the violence Mm -hmm. are all people violent by nature. 
these you, are the questions yeah. it presents us. Do you feel like the film answers any of these questions? And we will talk about them, more, of course, more. Not really, because a case could be made for like different angles. There's different scenes that you can point to 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 argue any of these points. Right. And on that, is it necessary to ha even have the answers to those questions? No, but sometimes it can leave you feeling a little frustrated. True. True that. True that. One of my uh, one of the one of the moments I remember most is Nick Nolte is talking to Elias Cotius. Uh, he was, you know, they were just they just finished his raid on this village, which I will definitely talk about. And you know, Nolte is essentially demoting Cotius down. You know, he's he's kicking him out, sending him to Jag, and saying like, look look at those vines. They're just you know winding around the trees and choking them out. And you know, nature is cruel, Staros. Nature is cruel. And and I was like. Yes, but no, I don't think, I, I think what Malik is, is saying in, in a lot of this film is not that na is, nature is not cruel. Nature is not peaceful. Nature is very indifferent to the, the nature of itself. There's the vines. The vines are just trying to survive. Everything is just trying to survive, and they're trying, and they will eventually achieve a sort of balance. And that, and that's what nature does. Nature, nature tends towards a sort of equilibrium of things. It's what we do. It's when man comes to this idyllic paradise. We see this idyllic paradise with uh, James Caviezel at the beginning on this on this idyllic island, and it's it's man. In balance with nature, and yet he is part of the military, and they go to Guadalcanal, one of the key battles of the Pacific theater of World War II, and that's where the chaos and the violence and the cruelty ensue. And so it has, and it's it's almost almost saying man is a part of nature, but can also go outside of it, and that's not necessarily a good thing. And of course, we are the only ones who are self-aware and Self, selfish enough to wonder, like, hey man, is this cool? Should we be doing this or what? And that's kind of what happens. Yeah, and I think one of the other scenes that drives that point home is the first scene when Caviezel, who's just gotten picked up from being uh, AWOL, mm -hmm. is talking to Sean Penn, and Sean Penn's like, basically saying what Nick Nolte's saying, that there's violence and you just need to buck up and fight the fight and how um, Caviezel could never be a soldier and that's just how the world is and he's like you're wrong because I've seen a different world and he's talking about that island paradise where he says to one of the mothers why did the kids never fight here yeah which is so which is so fascinating and Malik doesn't Malik does Malik is like that annoying professor who just asks a question and then lets you figure it out when you're like but so what's the answer you're like I don't know. You interpret it like what do you fuck think? You. like fuck you, Malik. And like Amy, if you ever do that to your kids, I'm like, oh my god, I don't wanna I'm And then so every mad. time you make a decision, he points you to another direction, which is at the end of the movie, Caviezel goes back to the island or he's there and all these people are now like fighting and there's not there's like unrest at the on the island. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You're like, oh, well, I thought I had made up my decision, Professor Malik, and now you're showing me this whole other thing, and I have to reorganize my entire argument. Yeah, it's it's interesting. He goes back to the he goes back to the island, or he's there in some in some capacity, but he's not there. He's there with his uh, his, you know, his fatigues on. He's there with his his gun, his uh, uh, or whatever it was they were using then, and it, he's a he's a different. He's a different person now. He's a different creature. He's not. He's not just this this white man who's, uh, you know, taken back. He's this. Now he's a soldier. He is an, he's a destroyer essentially. So yeah, that's the nature of the nature of war is to destroy the other, the uh, the other men, the other the other people fighting. So you know you can you can win. So you can take a stupid hill because that's strategically important. And it's it's when you when you break it down, it's really terrible uh the nature of war but uh it's it's something we live with it's part of the nature of man many films have talked about it there will be blood no country for old men literally every world war ii movie ever made is in some ways discussed uh the the the, the need for fighting for peace and how paradoxical that is when you think about it you're like fighting to not fight anymore what then why can't we just why can't we just why can't we all just get along really and they're in this the, the thing that really hit it for me which again so much of this is what you get from the movie not necessarily what the movie presents you but just what you get out of it that they're showing these horrifically awful things these drawn out deaths and then it'll show like the most beautiful birds you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And what it makes me feel, and again, if this is right or wrong, but what it made me feel is that war, it does, it disrupts the beauty of the world. And, you know, they're surrounded by these beautiful animals and these birds and these plants and these, you know, the way the light looks through the trees. I loved the shots where it was literally looking like straight up in the sky. Yeah. You see the sun coming through very, the trees. Very Kurosawa-esque. It's, yes, right out of Rashomon, I think. Boom. And just breathtaking and i feel and you feel like you're there and i just kept thinking like i would be like the james caviezel i would be like staros like let's not get everybody killed let's just kind of hang out here for a minute and let's think about what we can do so and enjoying and looking around at that beautiful scenery and when you're there to fight and you're just fighting to survive you miss so much of that beauty that Terrence, and that has to be part of it because Terrence Malick shows you so much beauty in this movie. That yeah. that I mean, there's a reason for yeah, it. He he, he makes a specific point to focus on the on the beauty so much that when the violence comes and it comes and it comes hard and it comes fast, it you're not because he he remains at such a distance from a lot of the characters. They aren't they aren't the most well developed characters, and I'll, I will definitely admit to that. That you feel, you feel the loss, the loss of life on a, in a general sense of things, and how it is, and how it is affecting the earth around it, and not necessarily how it's affecting the, the actual person. And there are momentous, uh, just heart wrenching scenes of death here, where these 
well-trained soldiers are, are ripped apart and they're crying and they're dying and you you and you feel it not as like like oh like Woody Woody Harrelson's dying and it's like I hate it when Woody Harrelson dies it's the worst thing but you also feel it as like it is especially Harrelson's death it's senseless it's it's pointless uh, for those who don't remember Harrelson he's um, a trooper or private or something like that and he goes off he, he comes off this hill and he accidentally pulls the pin of pin, pin, pin from his grenade. And so and so he throws himself on the hill to pr prevent the grenade from exploding and doing so, he, you know, blows off you know, his lower but abdomen. But on his face when he's holding the grenade. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, and yeah, he just has a sense of, oh, no, what did I just do? And your heart just drops into your stomach. And everyone, and then you see everybody else's, all the characters looking at him, you see all their hearts drop into their stomachs. Right, because Woody Harrelson, you know, you, you love you love Woody Harrelson. Just, you do. Just moments like this, we hadn't really seen him at all before then. His, his like he, he came in here just to die, just for the the senselessness of it, and it's uh, it's 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 tragic. He's just, he's just crying. He's like he blew off my bottom. Like I can't just like tell my tell my old lady I died. I died a man, and, and it's. It's like it, that's so World War II. I died like a man. Yeah, well, it's, it's what, it's what we. It's what and we it was do. senseless because it was a stupid way to die. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, yeah, he he ended up saving people by taking his own life, but at the same time, it, a thousand percent did not actually happen. Right? To yeah, happen. it's which which leads to the greater point. Like, none of this had to happen. We did not need to be in this. We as a people, we should be beyond this, and I know we we aren't. And war is just a constant thing in life, but it's it's a it's a small it's a small way of saying like we're all blowing our are literally blowing our asses off in these things. And for what? And for what? And for uh, and for a hill, and for a strategic hill that's there because we need to build an airstrip so our planes can go cause. More death. That's the, like, the plot of the movie. We need to take a hill, and we need to protect the airstrip that we make from it, and that's and that's it. And that's all. That's it's a game of it's a, it's a it's about property, as John Penn says at one point to uh, Charles. Like it's just it's just a property battle. That's all it is. We're just fighting. We're fighting for inches at this point. And yet, as unaffected, and and what's interesting is when you see those different sides of the characters. When you see, spoiler alert, James Caviezel get killed at the end of the movie oh which is so sad yeah, and um sean penn does get emotional sean penn who's mr like i'm a mill i'm part of the you know war machine this is what happens people die we move on you know and then he's like where's your spark and you see him get moved at the end and when um it's just amazing yeah uh yeah Penn and Penn and Wit have one of the two main relationships of the movie, and they're they're the other one is uh, the general played by Nick Nolte and Saros played by Elias Codius. They're they're very you have the the system going up against an individual who doesn't like the system. I I think the Nick Nolte Elias Codius relationship is developed a bit more because I think they have a lot more time. Uh, to to develop would be the word, 
but the, the but the Sean Penn Jim James Caviezel I think is really it's a lot it's a lot more interesting to see because you have because uh, they're two very different mindsets of of the characters Caviezel he he's the he goes AWOL a bunch of times he's you know he 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 would have been kicked out in court and given a dishonorable discharge for in any other time but they need need every they, they need, need every everybody they need just bodies and bodies there so he gets to he gets to stay on you have, and then you have Sean Penn who's the sergeant who like keeps the keeps the men in the men in line and their 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 rustling is more existential in nature and I and I, I really like that there's a there, there's a scene where they're in this old abandoned house and cameras just sort of moving around them and they're having this great conversation like I, I'm starting to understand this now and uh, and it's, it's wonderful which is not to say that Cotius and Nolte aren't great because you know it's it's 1998 it's like peak Nolte at this point he's he's shouting he's he's blubbering but you could but you could also feel for him like he's he came into the war you know he came into the military in the 30s now this is finally his war and he's been waiting his whole life for this and there's as weird as it is, you kind of like, all right, I get it. Maybe it's just me as a dude. Like, it, I get it. It definitely, it, it challenges your beliefs because you definitely see both sides of the story because I feel, you know, of course, I am not a military person, as in I've never fought in the military. Nobody very, very close to me has been in the military. Like my grandfather, it was in World War II. But so I can see it from an idyllic perspective. It's very easy for me to sit and be like, oh, can't we all just get along right. and okay. just enjoy the beauty of nature and war is so stupid and pointless because, yeah, I've never I've never had to be on the line. Right. And so who am I who am I to judge or say anything about war when it's I'm not the one risking my life. I'm not the one at home with a husband risking a life. But um. But you do you do see all those different perspectives. And another thing that I did like is that you could tell that the guys, even though philosophically they disagreed with each other, there still was that level of respect. Yeah. Well, uh, at at the end, Sean Penn says, "Where is your spark now?" And oh my gosh. And, and you, he understands that. You know, I think for for him as a representative of the system to be effective, they need. Someone to push against that system, and and that was and that was with you had the, the the combine, as Chief Romden might call it, and uh, wit and, and with there. And Caviezel's death, unlike the other characters, I mean, his death is beautiful. It's like a poem. James Caviezel is a poem in this movie. He's just and I you text, you you've, you have text. talked to me about how James Caviezel is a beautiful man. And James Caviezel, if you are listening, you are a beautiful man. Thank you. You are. A, beautiful man and his whole character he's very christ-like which is ironic because later on he went on to actually play jesus christ and apparently he's like gung-ho catholic man in real life as well but just every time he's on camera it's just so soothing and i thought if i were dying i would want james caviezel to be like rubbing my head like he does for some of them he soothes them there's seamer he's like washing a guy's hair and he's just pouring water on him and like rubbing his head and i thought that looks so relaxing. Like you have, you have, you have all these other guys. You have um, Adrian Brody, for instance, who's playing Fife. 
he looks terrified. terrified. He looks terrified the whole time. And then every, you know, James Caviezel, he is unperturbed. He is being chased down by a, a, a platoon of Japanese soldiers. To lead them away. Yeah, the, like this ball, this beautiful heroic like uh, way to rescue all of his other all all of his men. And he's just he doesn't he doesn't care. He gets to the, he gets to this opening in the field, and he's like, okay. This is this is this is where I'm going to die. It is a fine place for me because I know there is a there is another world for me. And, and he he, just, he goes and he goes out so so beautifully. And, and he just looks around and he's just looking. Yeah. And he's at peace, which is at the beginning of the movie when his character is introduced. He talks about his mother and he said, "When I die, I want to have that sense of peace." Right. And, I, and they're I think wanting to him to surrender, and he doesn't. So he's this. The two ways it could have gone, he is this badass who just did this totally heroic thing, he's giving up his life to save how many lives, but he's not a John Wayne about it. He's a James Caviezel about it, <laughs> and and he's just at peace, and he, he goes down because as soon as he lifts his gun, that's when they finally kill him because they want him to surrender, and he's not going to do it, no. and they're all just waiting. Yeah, he, he's... Um... He's exemplifying the, the the nature aspect that Malik wants to emphasize. And he a dies a, 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 alongside the he's still very much a human. He's, he's a, not a I think he's the human that we all Malik wants us to kind of like to aspire to. It's like be peaceful and accept that you are just part of this nature and that it's, it's and fine. it's not. And that, but he's not selfish, which is what no, Sean Penn was trying to say at the beginning of the movie. He's like, you could never be a soldier, you know, in God's world, you could never be a soldier. And basically, like, you're too selfish. You're just out for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you haven't gotten the group think mindset yet. And yet, he's very unselfish. And throughout the entire movie, he's just providing comfort. He's volunteering to do all the stuff, but he's also providing this comfort and peace to everybody, which is why when you said that his character is the character that Montgomery Clift played in the first movie, both of them, beautiful. The same beautiful, peaceful, tortured kind of guys. Um, And very good looking, side note. And for those who are uh, wondering, this movie was made in 1954 based off of the 1950s novel it starred uh, Montgomery Clift Burt Lancaster and uh Pierre D'Elia was in it from 2001 a space odyssey it was a more stripped down version basically the plot with none of the serialness to it as well I- I've never seen it have you seen it I have not but I'm surprised they got Lancaster and Montgomery Clift back but that was end of the Montgomery Clift's career end yeah of his life, wasn't it Post car accident when he was all banged up. Well, he's a great, be a great soldier then, I suppose. Yes. I can't. I can't. So I, I can't be entirely sure. That, that was judged around Judgment of Nuremberg was around then too. Nineteen sixty. Yeah, nineteen forty. So. Uh, what are some of your what are, What are some of the moments that stand out for you? In my opinion, James Caviezel was the main character of the movie. There were other characters that were featured as well, but I felt like he was he was the main character. Uh, the opening when 
he's swimming and he's just happy and he's with these people that he really cares about. The scene with him and Sean Penn really Both. stood out um, that we already discussed when he's like, you'll never be a soldier, that scene. The scene where there's, I can't even describe really what's going on, but Staros is when you kind of see Staros as his character developed where he's like, look, I'm not going to take your commands, Nick Nolte. I've got men here. It's a suicide mission. We're going to kind of hang back and kind of see what happens. And Nick right. Nolte's like cursing and screaming and yelling. And, in a very Nick Nolte fashion. Yeah. And he's, yeah. And, and Staros is, is standing up for himself. The other thing I really liked is when, um, is John Cusack had an excellent scene where he's dealing with Nick Nolte and Nick Nolte's like soldier, you're the greatest and I'm going to recommend you for all these awards and blah, blah, blah. And, he, and John Cusack just says to him, these men need water. Right. Focus on that. And then, yeah. And Nick Nolte's like, well, I've arranged for them to eventually get water, but we got to take the hill and the hill and strategically, this is the best thing to do. And we've got the momentum and we've just had a victory. And, I have to keep these men going while they're still pumped up. And half of your brain is like, okay, I get that. Right. That's a good point, Nick Nolte. And then John Cusack is just like blank face. He's just totally like, they're going to die if they don't get water and they're going to pass out. And Nick Nolte's like, but then, and without John Cusack saying another word, Nick Nolte's like, okay, we have to go get these men some water. Yes. Yes. And it's all by John Cusack, just keeping it all in. He doesn't go into big explanations and monologues about why they need water. He just says, they're going to die. And you think Nick Nolte hasn't heard him, but then as he walks away, he's like, oh, uh, we need to get these men some water before we go. Right. Powerful scene. My favorite scene in this movie is the attack on the village. Uh, it's very, it's very uh, traditionally man scene i suppose what 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 i like about this is that you know they make a comment uh film critics and you know war historians that you know you like every movie they say that every movie is an anti-war movie but also they also say that every anti-war movie is also a pro-war movie because you are effectively creating you're you're, you're trying to entertain first and foremost and so any violence you show is going to be through this lens of uh, Hollywood, of some sort of quasi-heroism, as it, as it were. And so you're, you're kind of like defeating your purpose when you're showing, a, uh, when you're showing this, ba this battle scene to say, like, war is bad, and yet look how pretty war can be. And what I like about the, the, the attack on the village, it happens after we have a, assaulted the, the hill, and the bunker, and the, another great attack led by John Cusack, which is, which is great. And this one, it's the Charlie Company is advancing through the fog, like the morning mist, and the fog clears, and the, it's just this assault on a village. And there's nothing resembling any sort of strategic positioning, tactics, plans, any of that. It's just men let loose with guns running through a village. There is something so uncivil about 
this scene and the the horror you see that these guys are doing because they're like they're caught up in this bloodlust where they're freaking out and they're they're shooting things and they don't know if they're gonna die or not that it's so it's beautiful the music by Hans Zimmer is astonishing and it's beautiful but it's also not and I think that's where Malik when Malik works he can be both at the same time. He can show this beautiful thing, even though it's a very ugly side of, in this case, human nature. It's just men at their basis. We're just, we're just killing and destroying. And uh, that's why I, I, I hadn't appreciated that scene before. It was just, this was the, like the, the secondary action beat after the, the main one. I was, I was tired all the other times, but here I was captivated. I thought this was phenomenal filmmaking right there. Uh, is this the scene where the guy shoots shoots them and he's like oh my god oh my god i shot him i shot him no 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 that's it that uh that that happened before this is uh that this is that same guy who's you know he's he's one of the guys who's just running through and yeah that scene was i thought you never really get into the head of someone that's just shot someone in the movies it's just so they shoot him they die and that's it but that his brain is like oh my gosh oh my gosh yeah. What do you what think I of do? And yeah. he's telling yeah. everybody about it, and they're all like, "That's great!" Like, like you know, shut shoot, up. Shoot some more. Stop giving. Stop giving our positions away. Uh, what do you make of the the men's voices, the the narration that they have? You have Wits. You have uh, Sean Penn's. Nolte. Nolte has some. I think Cotius has a line or two, and uh, the guy who steals the who takes the gun. Uh, ben Chaplin's character with his. Uh, wife what do you what do you uh are the what do you make of the voices it my opinions changed the first time i saw it and i didn't make it through much of the movie was before falling asleep was it was very hard to hear because they're so muted they're much more muted than the rest of it and the sounds of the nature are so loud and i remember thinking is this going to be the whole movie that i can't hear anything that's going on (laughs) yeah and, but this time around, I really liked it because I really liked that these were brave men. I mean, John Cusack's like, I'm going up on the hill. These are the guys that are going to come with me. Let's go. Right. Total bravery. Totally something I don't think I have it in me to do. We all, we'd all like to think that we'd be that guy, but how many of us would really be that guy? Totally not that guy. I but, that it, but that it shows the, like, that one guy who seems so goofy where he's like, Oh, I just killed somebody. Oh my goodness. That it shows that uncertainty and it shows that most of them really deep down don't want to be there. Yeah. And I liked that it was brave enough to show these are people who are scared. They're scared. They don't want to die. They want to go home. They don't totally understand why they're there fighting. They might not even agree with being there, but they're still going to do it. And that's why this movie, to to me, which is probably going to seem like sacrilege to so many people, was so much more effective than Saving Private Ryan because, and again, I only saw Saving Private Ryan one time. I saw it opening night Mm -hmm. 100 years ago when it came out in the theater at like a midnight showing. So take my, what I'm about to say with a gigantic grain of salt. But Saving Private Ryan 
was a very safe movie to make, which is why for me, it was not the best movie of that year. I need something original. I need a different twist on it. There's countless war movies. And each war movie needs to say something a little different. I felt like Platoon is great because it shows the enemy is within us. It's us fighting against ourselves. And I thought, wow, that's a really interesting take on it. Life is Beautiful, not necessarily a World War II movie, but it's brave enough to show like, hey, look at what humanity is capable of despite all of these awful, horrible things. And I thought, wow, that's a really interesting take. This shows people actually being scared and their feelings and their little, their memories, their flashes, which is really, really brave. Saving Private Ryan to me was, wow, everybody who ever fought in World War II is the greatest person who ever lived. They were brave. They did everything right. And they were just perfect. And we should always be grateful to these perfect heroes. Which seemed like a safe movie. It was a well-made film, but it seems like philosophically a very safe position to take. You're not going to stir up controversy by saying, wow, everyone who was in World War II is a big hero. I would disagree on Saving Private Ryan. I think uh, Saving Private Ryan asked the value of one man in the uh, context of the larger picture and how what the how much that life is worth, and that that and saying that that life is worth everything and that every life is 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 precious. And I think that I think I think that's important. But I do I do get that it is it is in a lot of ways it's a very safe movie, um, and that's probably why that's probably why it won uh, a lot of awards. It, it was the safer choice among the two World War II movies that were nominated for all the awards that year. You probably know Saving Private Ryan. And chances are you probably saw Saving Private Ryan more than you saw The Thin Red Line as well. But I don't, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the... I, don't, I, I somewhat disagree with your assertion on what Saving Private Ryan is about, but I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad you have it. Uh, we were talking about the, the voices from the, uh, from the characters. And what I noticed this time is that while they're great and nice and they help alleviate some of the long stretches without dialogue as it were that the we aren't we aren't hearing the voices of these characters many times we're hearing the voices of Terrence Malick speaking they all these guys sound like they have a english literature History to them, and uh, not not gonna. I mean, I'm a, I'm an English lit. I'm an I'm an English lit major too, and I definitely talk like this. But I'm like, are these grunts in 1940s America? Are they going to be waxing philosophical about this? It's a bit of a romanticize romanticization of the of the soldier itself to to a specific end, and I and I get that, and I I they're the voices are so good. Uh, you, you just like love hearing J- James Caviezel speak in that wispy, ethereal tone of his. Everything. I want to like I want to live on an island with you, Jim, James Caviezel. Please bite me. But if you're uh, James Caviezel, we want to hang with you. We do, we do. You look so good in a suit and person of interest. Please, I love that show. Uh, but you know, it it does suffer from a like at times. I'm like, don't like. Would this character say this? Probably not. And it's all starting to sound kind of the same. Certainly, like I like Nick Nolte, I like I get, but a lot of the the privates, they all kind of start to blend together. And it's a long movie; it's 170 minutes cut down from like five hours or so. So it it does start to wear on you. That it that it that 
one did not fall asleep ten minutes into it the second time around is uh, but it's really saying something. But another thing is is that Terrence Malick is really into voiceovers doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Yes, voiceovers in Badlands. They had to, I think, and I could be wrong, but Days of Heaven, I think they had that girl come in and basically narrate the whole story after he'd already shot the movie because he's like, oh, this is the story. So that she needed to kind of be like, oh, yeah, uh, they're going to they're pretending to be brother and sister right now. OK, now she's in love with this guy to kind of fill everybody in while there's and she's doing the voiceover while there's beautiful things of the sky right. and the wheat and the locusts coming. One thing I do have to say, a line that totally made me laugh when you're talking about the English major, when he's looking at the sky and he's saying that the red in the sky looks like God's fingers and it's the reference to Homer. Mm -hmm. from, and he's like, yeah, we read it at the point in, in Greek. Greek. Oh, see, that, see that, 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 I, that I would believe. West Point is no joke. Was such, I was like, that to me is the most badass line in the entire movie. Sure, take a hill. That's great. But being able to, to read Homer in Greek, that, my friend, that's impressive. Yes. That's uh, something I've never done. Um, so finally, uh, as, we, as we come to the close on this, Shakespeare in Love. Saving Private Ryan. Life is beautiful. Should the thin red line have won Best Picture 71st Annual Academy Award? No. No. I'm standing by my original argument, which was that Life is Beautiful was the best picture of that year. Ooh. That, to me, was the most original, I didn't think it could be done kind of movie. I When someone said it's a movie and it's set during the Holocaust, but it's like a comedy, I thought that is impossible. There's no way it could ever be done. They did it. And they made a beautiful movie and a romantic movie and a philosophical movie. Beauty during times of ugliness. It's a lot like the thin red line. And however, I will say this, I was wrong. I was wrong. You all heard it. You can, you now have a recording of me admitting that I was wrong. And this movie is a thousand times better than I thought it originally was. Right, I'm going to save that. I watched it and I am actually planning on watching it again. Wow. I'm going to save that. I'm going to call your husband. You can. And he I don't have his number or anything, but I'll find it. Yes, he and he was like, he thought I was just saying it to be nice. I'm like, no, it's a riveting movie. The ending of the movie is totally haunting. When the credits come on, it's just the most beautiful music yeah. ever. And yeah, we didn't, we barely even touched on the music. Music is. Uh, and I want to, and I want to, and I do want to watch it again. I watched clips of it this morning, actually. Oh, get yourself ready. Nice. So, and I don't always do that. It's because I wanted to recapture those emotions. So. I will say all of those things. I still not the best picture that year. I believe, I believe I said, um, saving private Ryan, uh, should, should have won one that year. And I was actually jonesing. I was really looking forward to the thin red line. It, it has cooled a little bit for me. It's, uh, the tone poemy ness of this does, you know, knock some points down. So I'm like, I don't have time for nonsense <laughs> anymore. Just please tell me. But when it works, my God, this movie works incredibly well. There are there are moments where only that only Malik could could do could achieve what he has achieved here. 
in, in terms of cre what you see on screen, what you hear, and the feeling, the feelings you are feeling. It's 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 at the top of of his game. He spent twenty years, not all of that time, making this movie, but this feels like the work of a dude who loves this uh, this particular story, and it it shows. Uh, I if somebody if this had one best picture, I think people would be really mad. People would be like, really that this. That weird movie with all the birds and the and the, the wheat fields. One like, oh please! It's it's a it's a very good movie. Uh, I think I I might not, I might not love it as much as you, but the parts I do love I am floored by. Uh, it is a film that is absolutely crafted on the editing room floor. Uh, it the plot and story is very disjointed. We don't follow. We don't really have arcs for a lot of the characters, and we follow so many. And it's more like they're less people, and they're they're more. They exist for Malik to make a point about something in particular, usually life and death. And that's great. But that takes it away from me somewhat, despite the beauty, despite all of the magnificence that's happening around it. I can't quite uh, say that this deserved best picture. Over Saving Private Ryan, which of course did not win, Shakespeare in Love won, but I would definitely, I probably would pick this over Shakespeare in Love as well. But it would be my number two choice for, for runner up that uh, that particular year. And so, folks, you have been listening to the Oscar Watch podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to drop a line and agree or disagree with either of us, you can write us at Oscar Watch Podcast at gmail.com, and be sure to find us on social media. Do have a lovely Memorial Day, or rather, I hope you did have a lovely Memorial Day. Next week, speaking of beautiful movies, David Lean, amazing music, plot and story, we are having another four-year reconsideration. That is the one, the only, Dr. Zhivago. Yay! So carve out three and a half hours to watch that sometime between now and then. And we'll be back with more fun insights for you. Amy, where can folks find you? On Twitter at athomason11. Or on our Facebook page. Feel free to message me. I love getting messages. I love writing messages. So tell us what you think. Thank you so much. And as always, folks, until next time, we'll see you on the right